of God and um, in their, you know, what the Lord might have for them. So there's lessons that I have. So 9 o'clock that I have for them on Saturday the 29th. Also on the 29th is the all-church picnic. And I'd love to see all of you there. It's really just a little bit of a uh, few opportunities that we have during the year to really get together as a church. And uh, especially with four services, it can be most difficult uh, to see everyone, to uh, be in touch with people. And uh, so I hope and pray that you can make it. And it works in your schedule, 5 to 8 o'clock at the Banowitz Gathering Place Event Center. And uh, the address is there. It's easy to find. You should go out Highway 34 towards Kersey. You turn on the Kingsburg Hudson Highway, CR 49, and go three miles. And then it's right there on the corner of CR 49 and 50, just on the east side. And that's where we've had the picnic before. There are maps if you need maps at the information desk as you sign. If you're planning on going, you haven't signed that. It just gives us uh, planning, you know, um, goals, you know, or for planning purposes. That is uh, how many people are coming. So just write your initials and how many people in your family are coming. We're going to have games for the kids. Um, so the kids love being out there to have a great time, and uh, we'd love to just uh, have a meal together, fellowship together, and uh, so I hope you can make it. So be sure to just sign up uh, there at the information desk. Um, like I said, just put your initials, and we want to get a, a number of how many people are coming. We're going to provide the meat and the drinks. If you want to bring a side dish uh, to bring and share with everybody, that would be wonderful. So again, not this Saturday. Um, but next Saturday, 5 to 8 o'clock. Uh, other things there in your bulletin, remember, guys, men's prayer, 7 o'clock in the morning here, if you'd like to join us for that, <clears throat> and um, other things that are there as well. So, Father, we ask that you just bless the time and the study of your word, and I thank you um, for uh, the family of God. I thank you that you put us together and that we can be here once again on a Wednesday night. And what my prayer is is that, that we wouldn't take it for granted uh, that we are here. Um, but, Lord, uh, I'm sure that um, those who are in this building want to be here, listening on live stream. Uh, we want to be encouraged and blessed and uplifted in the Word of God. And so we look for you to uh, teach us by your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, knowing that these psalms, even though they were written, uh, some of them 3,000 years ago, they're for us today to bring edification and instruction and encouragement and, um, Lord, exhortation. So, Lord, help us be attentive. Help us pay attention, be settled in our seats, our ears open and our hearts ready. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. One of the things I wanted to announce real quick, too, is um, that next Wednesday, uh, what we're going to do something a little bit different is going to be Missions Wednesday. And what we're going to do is get an update from um, those who've been involved in missions uh, here at Calvary Chapel recently. We're going to hear from uh, the team that went to Costa Rica uh, this summer. We're going to hear from the Leachmans as they uh, went out to the Philippines, and Jamie is out there at the orphanage. And I would ask that, as um, many of you know that are on the prayer chain, uh, Jamie's been dealing with some health issues and her asthma so continue to pray for her. So the Leachmans are going to give us a little update and their trip out there. Uh, also, Jake Figs, who uh, for two years was navigators on campus at the University of Oregon and then was in Europe 
for over a month, I believe, or just about a month uh, in Europe, and he's going to give a little update. And even uh, Barbara and Ashley are going to give you an update on the Bibles. Remember last year they went to China in October, and um, it, many of you just uh, were giving for Bibles to be taken into China, and they're going to give you an update on all of that. So we're looking forward to next Wednesday. I would encourage you to come out because you're going to be blessed in hearing the testimonies. You're going to be encouraged what God is doing uh, in, the, in the lives and through the lives of those that are here. And uh, I think that you're just going to be really uplifted. So uh, come on out next Wednesday. We're, I'm just calling it Mission Wednesday uh, next week as we hear all these updates and as they're going to be sharing with us. But tonight we do want to be in Psalm 66. Psalm 66, the psalmist, we don't know who wrote Psalm 66, and we began to look at it last week. And we got through verse 7, but you recall that the psalmist is writing, writing this during a time that the nation was going through difficulties and going through a trial. And as we have talked about quite extensively in going through these psalms, that, you know, in our lives we know that we're going to have tribulation. Matter of fact, Jesus promised that. He said that you will have tribulation. He didn't say you might have tribulation. But we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that there's sin and sickness and disease and darkness. And we know that we will go through difficulties and trials and persecution uh, as, as long as we're in this world. And those who come along and say that, well, uh, you know, every day is a Friday, you know, type of deal, like the pastor of the largest church in America, and that, you know, every day is going to be rosy and cheery, and you've just got to have enough faith, and you've got to be in enough positive you know, words that you've got to speak. Uh, the Bible is very, very clear that trials will be a part of our lives. Now, none of us like trials, and we go through different degrees of trials in our lives, and, and some of us go through real difficult times. And we have seen that David, who has penned a lot of these psalms that we have gone over so far, that he was one that trials was a big part of his life and difficulties, sometimes being persecuted as he was from Saul because he was anointed to king and Saul was jealous and bitter and was coming at him and desiring to kill him. And sometimes it is a result of his sin after his sin with Bathsheba, the consequences of that that would cause him to go through difficulties. But David is one that he would trust in the Lord and he called out to the Lord. And that's a reminder for us that we are to continually be crying out to the Lord and trusting in him and looking to him and that he is our provider, that he is our strength, that he's everything that we need. And also we know that as we go through trials, that God will have a purpose of maturing us and causing us to be refined, and it isn't easy. So let's begin to look at this as the psalmist begins to write about that in verse 8. Oh, bless our God. This is Psalm 66. You peoples, and make the voice of his praise be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. So right away we see that the psalmist, again, is blessing the Lord, that he's praising the Lord. And one of the things that, that uh, as I was thinking about this once again, we see the psalmist of uh, the book of Psalms that were continually given praise even in the difficulties that they were experiencing. And David, of course, is a wonderful example of that. But here we see that the psalmist is praising God because 
he knows that the Lord is going to be his stability. Lord, you're the one that's going to keep our soul uh, and the living, does not allow our feet to be moved. And of course, we have seen that David would use that language of, Lord, you're our stability. You're our rock. I'm turning to you. I'm going to be uh, under the shadow of your wings, that place of protection. And we can praise God, can't we? in the trials and losses and difficulties that we go through, because we have the Lord. I think about sometimes how do people who do not have the Lord, how they make it through the difficulties and the trials of life. They have to rely on the world's philosophies and the world's ways. But you and I, that we can praise God because we have him in the trials that we're in, in the midst of the trials. And he promises he won't leave us or forsake us. And we know that he's there, and he's the place of stability for you and for me. People say, I don't need God. Well, I need God. And he's the one that sustains our being. Paul would say in Acts chapter 17, for in him we live and move and have our being. It was Daniel when he was rebuking the the king of Babylon in Daniel chapter 5. He said, Belshazzar, that it's the the Lord, the true and the living God that holds every breath you take in, in his hands. And we are in his hands, as Jesus said, that my sheep know me and they hear my voice. And you're in my hands and no one will pluck you out. The hands of protection, the hands of of strength, the, the outstretched arms of the Lord. I love that term that we read in the Psalms, that the Lord has outstretched arms working on our behalf. I am very thankful that I have the Lord, and it causes me to praise him. But the psalmist goes on to say in verse 10, For you, O God, have tested us, and you have refined us as silver is refined. And you've brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to a rich fulfillment, or it might be translated to a rich abundance. A a wealthy abundance is what it's speaking of, and it's speaking of spiritually, of course. And so as we go through the trials and difficulties of our life, that we know that there's a refining that takes place. Listen, the Lord doesn't allow trials to come into our lives to do us in and to burn us up and to wipe us out. It's to refine us as we just continue to trust in Him. And that's not easy, is it? It's not fun. Testing will cause us to be stressed and anxious and, you know, and confused at times and hurting. And it's not a fun process. But there is rich reward is what the psalmist is telling us, that he will bring us to a rich fulfillment, a wealthy spiritual fulfillment in that, as we see in Paul in chapter 5 of Romans, saying that the trials we go through, it will bring endurance and it will bring character, that is godly character, and that it will bring hope, and hope does not disappoint. And we know that James talks about the same thing, that there is a completeness or that is a maturity that happens with you and I as we go through the trials, a refining that takes place. And that's what we need to keep in mind. It causes us to be better and stronger and to have a testimony of the goodness of God. Sometimes people will say, "Uh, I just want to have a powerful testimony, Pastor. Well, to have a testimony, there needs to be a test, right? There needs to be a test. 
And as you are tested, as you go through the refining fires, as you see that the Lord brings endurance to you and patience, and he brings character, godly character, and hope to you, because our hope is in him, and brings you to that complete man or woman that is maturity that takes place, then you're going to have a powerful testimony. So the psalmist is writing about all of that. In verse 13, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay my vow, uh, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. And I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams, and I will offer bulls with goats. And then there's that meditation. As, As we look at this, the burnt offering, offering of worship. If you go to Leviticus chapter 1, it tells us about the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was a free will offering where you bring that animal, the worshiper, to the priest, and then that animal was completely consumed upon the altar. And as the smoke would raise up uh, into heaven, out there in the outer courtyard, it was a sweet smell and aroma to the Lord. It, it, it smelled good. It pleased the Lord. Sometimes when we walk out of the building, particularly on Wednesday nights, you can kind of catch a whiff of Texas Roadhouse over here, can't you? And just, you know, the ribs and the steak, it smells good, doesn't it? It's like, mmm, that smells good, especially if you like meat like I do. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. So to even infinitely spiritual, uh, more of a, of course, a spiritual degree, that when we offer ourselves to the Lord, and you see that burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 1, how do we make application? It's simply this, that as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, if you would, a burnt offering, that that worshiper was coming, that free will uh, offering, that animals, and, and that animal represented that you're giving all to the Lord as that animal was consumed. And as we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm giving all of me to you. My whole life, I consecrate myself to you completely. Nothing is held back. And that's why I said last week that, you know, there's a whole lot of messages today on how to have a balanced Christian life. Listen, I want to teach you and encourage you, and I want to be reminded myself that it's not a balanced Christian life. It's a surrendered Christian life completely surrendered to Him in every area of our lives. And as we surrender completely to Him, then He's going to help us in every area of our lives, enjoy life the way it's supposed to be, because we'll never really have balance. We'll you know, have too much work and little recreation, or a time will comes where we have uh, too much time here and very little time there, and we're rushed there, and we have too much time on our hands there. And it changes constantly. But here's the thing, as we allow the Lord to be preeminent in every single area of our life, every day of our lives, that, Lord, I just want to be a sweet-smelling aroma to you, pleasing to you, with my life, that he's going to be able to do more in your life, in every area of your life, as we just allow him to do that. But as I was looking at this, we're going to be reminded of of some of this. It's going to be touched on. When we're in Ephesians chapter 5 this Sunday, which we'll be in, we're going to look at, as Paul's writing about, of course, in this section of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, how we are to walk worthy of the calling in which we are called. But in chapter 5, we're to walk in love. And the apostle, and we'll get into it more specifically on Sunday, that and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us in an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell and aroma. 
In other words, as we are walking in love and we are loving each other. And we talk about going outside and, and, and you know, you can smell Texas Roadhouse. But I think that when we leave this place, that the aroma of love that comes from this place and from this church rises up to heaven and is very pleasing to the Lord. To walk in love and as he gave himself for us, and he proved his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul writes that right before he talks about the trials that we go through. It produces patience and endurance, and it produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. But we know that he died for us because of his love. And we're to love one another, and we're to walk in that love. So it's a sweet-smelling aroma when we do that. So the psalmist is saying, even in the difficulties and the trials that, that I'm going to offer as a sweet, uh, as a burnt offering and a sweet aroma of rams, I will offer bulls with goats. In verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He is attentive to the voice of my prayer. And blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. So we see here that come and hear all you who fear God and and declare what he has done for my soul. So you'll be able to do that. You will have a powerful testimony. And I know that some of you do because you've been through the refining fires. And we can declare the, the goodness and the faithfulness of God and the wonderful works that he has done in us. But I want to draw attention here to something. I, I cried to him, or in verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And that's a very sobering verse. And, and what is the psalmist saying here? I think it has a lot to do with what Isaiah, in, in chapter 59, that the Lord uh, would declare that the Lord's hand is, is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquity have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Here's the deal. That if you're continuing in sin, well, you know to be a direct violation to the word of God and the commandments of God, and you continue in that, he's not going to bless it. And your fellowship and your closeness with the Lord is very much is going to be hindered because the Lord has called us to holiness and to righteousness. And I think that we need to understand that as Christians, especially in the day in which we're living in, because we're going to touch on it again this Sunday as we're to walk in love. And it's interesting, in that section of walking in love, the apostle is going to write about that we are to walk in that purity. We're not to be given over to uh, immorality and uncleanness and things like that. And, and the thing to remember is the Lord loves you and me. And he loves us so much that when we are in a place where we are going down the wrong road, where we're sinning, where we have iniquity in our hearts, then he's going to convict us. And the reason that he convicts us and it feels heavy in our hearts, I don't know if you've ever been through a season where it's like, man, I just kind of feel a heaviness of the Lord. He's convicting you because he loves you. And he chastens us because he loves us. And it's a loving father that says, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to experience the, the darkness and the downfall and defeat and despair of sin. And I desire for you to walk in holiness. 
so you can be wholesome, to walk in righteousness so your life is right. And so he says, if you regard sin in your heart, he will not hear us, iniquity into our hearts, and our fellowship is broken with the Lord because we're going down a path where he is not going to lead us or travel with us. He would say in 1 Peter chapter 3, we went over this not long ago in our study in that epistle, talking to husbands that, that husbands, you're to live with your wives in an understanding way. And the apostle goes on to say, and if you don't, your prayers are going to be hindered. And again, men, we need to take that to heart. To live with our wives in an understanding way means that we are to listen to them and And we're going to talk about our responsibilities and roles as husbands and wives in just a few weeks when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, that submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then we're going to see that husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we'll talk about it more specifically. That means unconditionally. That means sacrificially. That means serving her and cherishing her. That means serving her. Laying down your life for her. We'll talk about that. And Peter says you're to live with her in an understanding way. That means the things that are important to our wives need to be important to us. You know, we can talk to somebody and, and we can listen to them. They're talking about a situation. And sometimes we say, oh, I understand. I get you. I understand where you're coming from, right? Husbands, listen to your wives. Live with them in an understanding way. That's how important it is to the Lord how you treat your wife. And this is for all of us. Because sometimes we can just like, you know, grumping and grumbling. You know, downstairs watching TV, don't bother me. And the Lord says, no. You live with her in an understanding way. And the things that are important to her, because if you have a godly wife, then you are a very blessed man, and I want you to know that she hears from the Lord. And we need to be sensitive to that, and we need to be caring. Not just hearing them, but listening to them and living with them in an understanding way. And so we'll get into that in a few weeks, but this is a very important here verse that perhaps tonight as we go to prayer, as you're hearing the Word of God, to say, Lord, is there iniquity in my heart? Is there something that the Lord's been dealing with you about? Then the fellowship and the closeness with the Lord is being hindered very, very much in your prayers. And the Lord loves you, and he desires for you to confess it and turn to him. And I understand, folks, that we can struggle in different areas, and, and it, it is a battle in the flesh at times. But we're to give it to the Lord. And we're to be ones that, that we are to trust in him and, and look to him for everything who will enable us to live in the godliness that he desires for us to live in and to know that he desires to do that work. Again, I know I've repeated this verse several times, but in 1 John 5, that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Every commandment of God that is given to us is, is an expression of his love to you. It's not to put a burden on you. His commandments are not burdensome, but he loves us and an expression of his love 
for us to walk in that obedience and to keep his commandments. So here the psalmist finishes by blessing the Lord and, um, and just uh, who has not turned away my prayer nor is mercy from me. I'm looking to you. Lord, you do hear my prayer because I'm turning to you and I am desiring to walk with you closely. Psalm 67 is to the chief musician, a string instruments, a psalm, a song, and it's a short one. We read that God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us and in that meditation. So in verse 1 here, we see that uh, I need God's blessing. I want his favor. That's what the, the psalmist is asking for. Be merciful to us. Bless us. Cause your face to, to shine upon us. And then in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. If you catch this, you see that in the Old Testament, it talks about how God's people was to be a testimony of God's salvation, a witness to the world that, that the God of Israel is the true and the living God. We see that all throughout the Old Testament beginning with even Moses, you know, when he came to Pharaoh and let my people go and I won't. And, and Pharaoh's going to see that, that I truly am the Lord. And as they went out into the wilderness and they received, you know, all the, the law and the commandments that were given to them and to go into the promised land and be established as a nation, that the other nations may see how God blessed them and protected them and provided for them. It was to be a witness to the other nations, a light to them, that God is true, that the God of Israel is the true and the living God, that the false gods that they were worshiping are nothing compared to the true and the living God. But what happened over time, as you know, as you study the history of the Old Testament, is first of all, the children of Israel would end up forsaking the Lord and worshiping those false gods. But also what happened as well is they turned inwardly. They turned inwardly, and they thought that salvation was only for them. And that was a a problem in the early church as you read the book of Acts, right? You remember when Peter, he's the one that brought the gospel to the Gentiles initially. Cornelius, chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And Cornelius, that centurion uh, and his family, they got saved in Caesarea there. And the people that were in that room and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And Peter went and ate with them. He was instructed to do that. He had that vision of the sheet and all the animals. That story took place. And then the, the brethren, the early Christians there in Jerusalem, who were Jewish believers, when they heard that Peter went to the house of a Gentile, they were absolutely amazed. You mean you went and ate with a Gentile? And, and you, you brought the gospel to them and God is saving them? And they realized that salvation was going to be extended to the Gentiles as well. And, of course, we have been discussing that in the book of Ephesians as Paul was making sure that they understood that you're no longer strangers and foreigners, that you're brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, what he has done for you. So we are to be a light to others as well. So Israel, what happened was they turned inwardly and they saw the Gentiles were good for nothing but to fuel the fires of hell. That literally was their attitude at that time. I just want to say this, that I pray for you and for me that we would really have a heart for the lost and desire to, to, to be a witness to them and, and give light to them, that people would see in our lives that the reality of Jesus, not that they're going to see perfection, but they're going to see men and women, you and I, 
that are perfectly forgiven and love the Lord. And there's something different. There's a strength. There's a comfort. There's a wisdom. There's, there's a guidance that's there. There's, there's something different about you. And it's the reality of Jesus Christ because the light is exposing the darkness in their life. A conviction that happens. And that we would understand that the Lord desires to bring them into the kingdom. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. In verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. And let the peoples praise you, O God, verse 5, and let all the peoples praise you. And then the earth shall yield her increase. And God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. So the gospel is for all the nations, isn't it? That's why I want to encourage you to come next Wednesday. As going out to Costa Rica and the Philippines, to Europe, to other parts of the country here. And the Lord desires for us to take the gospel to your neighbors, to your families, to your coworkers, if you have opportunities across the, the ocean or to another country. But the gospel is for all the nations. And you remember in Revelation chapter 5, and, and I believe that's a picture of the church, and when we get raptured and, and we're standing before the Lord, and, and the new song that we're going to sing that you have redeemed us by your blood out of every tongues and peoples and tribes and nations. That's the song of the church. It's not the song of Israel. It's not the song of angels. It's the song of you and I. We have come out of every tongues and peoples and tribes and nations because salvation has come to the nations. When he comes and rules and reigns, he will rule over all the earth, as the psalmist says. And then in Psalm 68, it's a psalm of David here, again, given to the chief musician. So David is the author of this psalm, and, and he starts out, but let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As max melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad, and let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. I love David's enthusiasm, even as he's writing this song. Now, this is a song of ascent. This is a time that David, writing this psalm, it is believed, when he would take the Ark of the Covenant that had been in kerjath Jerim during the reign of Saul. It stayed there for a while, and Saul didn't care about the spiritual condition of the nation. He didn't care about worshiping the Lord. And when David had taken Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, from the Jebusites, he wanted to establish the city of David, Mount Zion, as a central place of worship. So he brings the Ark of the Covenant from Kirchjef Jerim to Mount Zion, and he goes up to Jerusalem. And so this is the song of ascent as let God arise, as, as David would say. But also we know that this is something that Moses would sing to the people in the wilderness, according to Numbers chapter 10, verse 35, you can write down in your notes and you can see it, that this was a song of Moses, that when they broke camp, when that pillar of fire, that pillar of cloud, the tangible presence of God would move from the tabernacle that was over the camp 
that when it moved, they would have to break camp and they moved the tabernacle. And Moses would sing that let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let those who also hate him flee before him. So let God arise. But also this song of ascent, speaking not only of Moses when they moved the tabernacle, speaking of David bringing the ark up to Mount Zion there to establish a central place of worship, but also speaks of Jesus. You say, how does it speak of Jesus? I'm going to tell you when we get to verse 18. Because we studied verse 18 just a couple weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 4. You'll recognize it if you've been with us in our study of Ephesians. But also as I look at this, and I love David's enthusiasm, you know, he, he said, let God arise, you know. And here is he gives this psalm, as smoke is driven away, as wax melts before the fire, let the wicked perish at the presence of God. You know, one of the things that, to bring it home a little closer, practically, for you and for me, is that when we deal with that, which we look at and we struggle perhaps with some area of the flesh, or there's carnality, or maybe there is somebody that is coming against you, or you're just overwhelmed by the darkness and the wickedness of the world, what's the key for you and for me in our Christian walk? Let God arise. Let God arise. Let him arise in your heart. Let him increase in your heart. And that's why it's so important that we continue every day that, Lord, that I'm going to offer myself a burnt offering to you, completely surrendered to you. And Lord, I want to renew my mind and learn Christ. And Lord, to, to focus on the things of Christ. But it's hard when we go to work and, and we're out and about and all the stuff around us and, and the stresses and the things that we have to deal with. But it's important that we let God arise in our hearts. It's kind of like when there's darkness... When there's darkness, one of the things that I'm learning more and more is when there's darkness, not to focus on the darkness, not to, you know, just be so frustrated and trying to find my way through the darkness, not to, to yell at the darkness and, and be so frustrated. It's to what? Turn on the light. <laughs> kind of simple, huh? We can make it kind of complicated. And I know that that it's a work in progress that the Lord is doing in us spiritually. But when we struggle in very important principle, very important truth, is that you let God arise in your heart and in your life. And every single day, as David, again, let God arise. And another place that we saw, remember he said, let praise awaits. Lord, I can't wait to praise you. Lord, you arise in my heart and grow stronger. You're in my heart. I want to know you more. I want to walk in your ways. I want to stay close to you. And that's going to help us. It dispels. The, the, the carnality begins to melt away. The wicked things begin to, to flee from us that we struggle with when we let God arise in our hearts. And then verse 3, And let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Let them rejoice exceedingly. Uh, listen, you're righteous. I'm righteous. Not in and of ourselves. But positionally, we're righteous in Jesus Christ. He has imputed righteousness to you and to me. So what does that mean? To rejoice. 
and to be glad. To rejoice and be exceedingly glad is what David writes here. In verse 4, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds by his name Yah and rejoice before him. That, that, that word Yah is abbreviation for Yahweh, the name of God. Moses there at the burning bush said, what is your name, Lord? That I need to go back and tell the children of Israel what your name is. He said, I am that I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. I am the name of God. It's been translated Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. They made it no vows. So they reverenced the name of God so much there in the Old Testament. And the religious leaders, that they didn't dare say the name of God. That's why they were so offended when Jesus came along and was calling God, you know, my Father. My Father in heaven. It was just like burn their ears. Yahweh, sometimes translated Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament as you go through it. The name of God, I am. I was hearing a clip yesterday uh, of somebody uh, who's getting more popular all the time, getting an audience, and he was saying that Jesus never claimed deity. That, that's just something that happened after the resurrection of Jesus. And, and so the followers of Jesus just kind of tagged that on to, well, he was divine. And that began to kind of spread around, and that's where we're at today. And I thought, really? I don't know what Bible you've read, but you haven't read the Bible that I have where Jesus clearly claimed to be God, divinity, divine. It is clear, no question about it. I am that I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. The religious leaders arguing with Jesus in John chapter 8. By what authority do you do these things? Where do you come from? What do you mean you're calling him your father? And Jesus would say, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Right there he was claiming deity because no one can forgive except God. If you don't believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. There's no forgiveness if you reject me. And they would argue with him and they would boast that they're Abraham's descendants. And Jesus would say that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, wait a minute here, those religious leaders. They said, what do you mean? You've seen Abraham? You're not but 50 years old. And Jesus said, before Abraham was... I am. And they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. He was claiming to be God. He was claiming deity. Uh, I'm the one from the burning bush. The name of God is what he used. Ega Amid in the Greek. And they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because they knew what he was claiming to be God. And Jesus comes along in John's gospel And he uses the name of God, I am. And he says that I am the bread of life. And whoever believes in me shall never hunger and thirst, but have everlasting life. He says that I am the light of the world. He says that I am the door. That I am the resurrection and the life. That I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The statements of deity that Jesus clearly made in the scriptures. So here is the psalmist. He's using that name, Yah. He rides on his clouds and, and, and sing to God, sings praises to his name. We're going to see here really in verses 1 through 19 as we look at this psalm that it, it deals with Jesus' ascent. 
And then as we're going to conclude the psalm here, that we're going to see it deals with the second coming. And so the psalmist is beginning to, to write about that. And a father, verse 5, is a fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. And so it's a blessing to be, as I said tonight already, a part of the, God's family and he's a fatherless, he's a father that is to the fatherless, to the orphan. Maybe you're an orphan tonight. Say, I'm not an orphan. An orphan is one who is all alone. And maybe you're here tonight and you feel all alone. No one understands you. You feel like that, that you're all alone in life. And I want you to know that you have a father who loves you. And he's a protector and a father to the widow. And the one who feels maybe like an outcast, who feels isolated, good news. You're a part of the family of God. And you have a father who loves you and he sees you and he hears you and he loves you. And verse 7, O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook and the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O oh God, sent a plentiful rain. Kind of interesting that we know that water came from the rock. We talked a little bit about it on Sunday. And we know that that would water the people. There had to be a lot of water because there's two and a half million people out there. But the Sinai out there is a desert that gets very little rain. Maybe some parts get a quarter of an inch of rain a year. Very hot, very dry. And here the indication is, as they were out there in the wilderness, that it rained. That they had plentiful of rain that would water them and, and bring water to them as well. Interesting. But in verse 10, your congregation dwelt in it. You, O God, provided from uh, your goodness for the poor. And then we read that in verse 11, the Lord gave the word, great was the company of those who proclaimed it. And kings of armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home divides the spoil. And though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with uh, yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalman. One of the things that caught my attention here was in verse 12 and verse 13. Actually, verse 12, kings of armies flee, they flee. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. Some believe that this is a reference to, and speaking of Jael, Judges chapters 4 and 5, Deborah becomes the judge, Barak is the general. And the Canaanites had oppressed and held in bondage the children of Israel. It's that time of the days of the judges. And, and all of a sudden, Sisera and his army, the Canaanites, was going to do battle against the children of Israel. And the children of Israel uh, would have a great victory and defeat the Canaanites. But Sisera, in that battle, as you read those chapters in the book of Judges, that he runs and he's retreating and he's uh, running away from the uh, advancing armies of Deborah and Barak. And, and he comes to a house owned by Jael. And, and he knew her and she knew him. And he comes in and he said, hide me. 
And he's being all bossy and dictatorial and mean to her. And hide me. You need to hide me. And hide me under this rug. And, and that's what she did. And he's there hiding under the rug. And here she comes. And he has a spike. And she nails it right through his temple. Bam. Nails him to the floor. He's dead. Interesting story. Implications that we don't have time to go into. <laughs> but she would... <laughs> Someday we'll get back to it, all right? <laughs> but she was involved in the spoils. I do want to say this. It also reminds me of, as the psalmist is writing here, and I was looking at this, she who remains at home divides the spoils. It reminds me of, of 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 24. David went to the Philistine country. He had been pursued by Saul. It's near the end of where he had been pursued. He'd been running from Saul. He has his mighty men with him. He goes to Ziglag, and they allow him to stay there. He's making these raids, and his family's there. They're living in homes. They're there for actually, I believe, a couple years, if I remember right. And there's one time that David and the mighty men are out, and the Amalekites come. The Amalekites come to Ziglag, and they burn the homes. They take all their stuff, and they kidnap all their family. So here's David and his mighty men. They come back, and their homes are burnt. Their stuff is gone. Their family is gone, and they are in such distress. Actually, David's mighty men were about ready to stone David. It was like, we've had enough, David. We've been faithful to you. We've been running with you. We've, you know, given up our lives to be with you. And this is what it's come to. They just couldn't take it anymore. As their families were kidnapped by the Amalekites, which, by the way, 20 years previously, were to be wiped out by who? Saul. Saul, get rid of the Amalekites. Get rid of all of them. And what does Saul do? Obviously, he left some, and he brings back Agai, king of the Amalekites, kind of as a trophy. We got to get rid of the Amalekites, folks, and of lives. And you see, the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh in the Old Testament. They were the ones that snuck up on the rear of the children of Israel and picked off those who were, you know, in the rear and did terrible things and did battles with the children of Israel and how did the children of Israel defeat them? Moses with his arms up. And as long as his arms are down, they're being defeated. And Joshua's down there, you know, doing battle. And then he has her and he has um, Aaron that are holding the arms up. And it's a picture of prevailing prayer. But it's also a picture, I believe, I imagine on that hill, Moses with his arms out. Prevailing prayer and they had victory. And two guys with their arms up, holding them up. It's a picture of Calvary. As Jesus stretched his arms out for you and for me, and we have victory over the penalty of sin, and he desires to give us victory over the power of sin in our lives. We need to be praying and seeking and going to the cross. And we need to get rid of the Amalekites. You don't have an Agai. You don't say, well, I, I mostly, I'm doing okay for the most part, but I do have this little agai with me. Because the weeks will pass, the months will pass, the years will pass, and the Amalekite will get you and cause problems in a whole lot of different ways than it did to David. 
They come back. They're going to stone David. David was such in great distress, it says in that chapter of 1 Samuel. He goes to the Lord, and he strengthens himself in the Lord, and that's what we're to do. And he says, okay, guys, let's mount up. Let's go. Let's get, you know, strap your swords on. We're going to go after them. They go after the Amalekites. As they're going after the Amalekites, some of the men who have been weary, they had to stay behind. And David said, you guys, you stay here. You watch the supplies. The rest of us are going to go. And they went and they found the Amalekites, got their families back, got their possessions back. When they came back there in 1 Samuel chapter 30, it says that the guys who did battle, who, who went there on the front lines, they would say to the guys who were left behind watching the supplies, they would say that they shouldn't join in with the spoils. They shouldn't join in. They should have no part of it. And David said, absolutely not. They're going to join in with the spoils because they had a part of this, which was a very important part. I want to encourage you. Because Paul in the New Testament, he was writing to the, to the Philippian believers, he says, I thank you for the generous gift that you've given to me and that the fruit that abounds to my ministry is going to be accounted to you, that is to your spiritual and eternal account. There, you may not be able to go out in the mission field, but I know that many of you, that you supported this team that went to Costa Rica or Jake, who was at the University of Oregon, which is a very, very dark and hard place to minister. Or you minister and bought Bibles that are going into China and being passed out and handed out and, and looking for ways to continue to do that. That that's added to your account. But also I want to encourage you in a very practical way as well. Because when I went into ministry 24 years ago, one of the things that Sue and I decided, I said, Sue, listen... And particularly when we came up to start Calvary Chapel Greeley, I said, Sue, you know, you're not my assistant pastor. We made that decision. And it doesn't mean that, you know, anything negative towards her at all. It meant that, that she had a role, and that was we had four kids that she was at home that she was ministering to, homeschooling to, and she allowed me to be able to be here to minister and be at the church. And so as she did that, I couldn't do what I do even today if I didn't have her support. And that means so much to me and has been a benefit to me. And I know that the rewards that are going to be given to me because of anything that I've done for the Lord here, that she's going to share in with the spoils and great will be her reward. You see what I'm saying? Because she has allowed me to be here, and she's ministered. She's taught children's ministry. She has taught children. She has ministry today, the pregnancy center. She's always had ministry, but she's allowed me to be here. And I'll tell you what, my wife is a whole lot smarter than I am, and she could run this church a whole lot better than I do. But she was called to be at home. And I'm very thankful because I have four kids that love the Lord. And I'm excited for them. And she played an important role in that. And great will be her reward. I want to encourage you that maybe you're thinking, I'm just home with the little ones. Great, great is your ministry. I can't go right now, but you can support your husband. Well, I, I can't go in the mission field. You can give. I'm limited right now where I'm at. 
you give what you can, and you're going to see that God's going to greatly reward you in heaven. And you might be thinking, I can't do much, but listen, as you pray, as you give, and do what you can do, and do it faithfully, what God has called you to do, you're going to be a part of that which the spoils are going to come to you. All right? And God's going to be faithful in rewarding you. And your ministry is so critical and so important. I want to encourage you, wherever God has you, and the doors that are open to you, that he sees and he hears, and he's going to honor you. I think when we get to heaven, the rewards are given. There's going to be some real surprises. There's going to be great rewards as the storehouse of heaven are opened up. To you that spent years in changing dirty diapers, cleaning up the mess off the floor from when the kids ate, great is going to be a reward for you who spent all that time just on your knees praying for your children, for your husband. Great is going to be a reward. For you who are able to give, to those who are able to give the gospel and take it to the world or wherever it may be, great is going to be your reward as you give a cup of water to a child in love. He sees and he knows. You will share in in those spoils. Be encouraged. Be blessed. God is good. So, Father, as we stop here tonight... We thank you for these words of encouragement given to us. and Lord, I thank you for, oh Lord, you're, you're just so good. For us to be rejoicing and glad because you've forgiven us, proven your love to us by dying on the cross. And I thank you. And Lord, as we always do, there may be somebody that's listening tonight that you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, never surrendered your life to him as Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would if you've never done that. And the gospel is proclaimed from this place, the good news, in that we've all been separated ultimately from God because of sin. But Jesus came and took your sin upon himself. He died for all of your sins. And he shed his blood for forgiveness of sin and was put into a tomb, and he's alive. He rose from that tomb. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is going to come back. And today is the day of grace, the unmerited favor of God. You can't earn your way to heaven. But as you come by grace through faith, as you just believe in the atoning work of Jesus and that he rose from the grave, God, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you as you come and cry out to him. The Bible says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if anybody's listening, you've never done that. It's about relationship and surrendering your life to Jesus, turning to him. And you pray, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, a sinner, for my sins on that cross. 
And that you were put into a grave and you rose again. And you're alive. And I know that you brought me here tonight or had me turn on the computer to listen to this message. So I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And that you be the Lord of my life. And I thank you for forgiving me. And I thank you for a new beginning that I have as one being forgiven and belonging to you. In Jesus' name.